0: Amen, amen. Yeah, I had a overwhelming sense just at the beginning of worship this morning of victory, and I don't, I don't even know why. But I had uh, talked to Shannon a little, little earlier, and uh, she had told me that she had seen, she didn't know why, but she had seen. Um, just a lot of warring angels here And So we're starting Worship and I had this overwhelming Sense of victory And just what God was doing And and I, I, I can't explain it Except that later in Worship He explained it to me And I, I still don't Fully understand it Because we won't know it until we really dig into this series. But there was a lot of warfare over this series. There was a lot of warfare, even even me understanding that we're supposed to do this series, because I, I'm not one that likes to like repeat things, and I, I never... Well, I don't really have old outlines. If you see my outlines, it's really kind of funny. Um, so it's it's not like I can go back and pull out an old outline or something like that, but even... Even a topic, you know, we're, we're just two years old, a little, too, a little over two years old. And when he told me, he, he said, I, I want you to preach on the armor of God. And I'm like, yeah, I did that. They can go to the podcast on the website. You know, and, and, and so it was, it was a little bit of a battle to even get me to understand that he was telling me that. And, and it's like, look, I'm serious. I, I really want you to do this again. And, and because there's a reason for it, and I'll explain that here in a second, but, uh, um, but I want to give you as well an update um, with Carson. I've, I've been up to see Carson a few times. He's in the hospital, has been for I think, 10 days, 10 days, something like that now. But um, uh, we've been praying for him. If you've been on the prayer calls at all, then, uh, then you know that as well. Uh, as well as praying for our country in the the first hundred days of this new administration we 've been praying every night at eight thirty but um, But last night was a little bit unique, and I want to mention this because I know so many people are praying for him. i, I don 't know what is unique about it, except for the fact that that he he texts me every time he goes before the court. You know, every time he is feeling sick, starting to really hurt. Having a lot of pain, he goes before the court and he texts me. And usually, you know, it's been this way uh, for, for a while now. Usually he'll text me maybe twice a day. He'll text me at, at you know, roughly in the afternoon and then maybe between 3 and 4 in the morning. Um, last night was a little bit different. He first texts me at 11, and then he texts me again at 3, and then he texts me again at 6. So you can imagine that that, that, is, that is a different... Scheduled than what what has been happening. So I mention this only for this sake that you are to pray, that we're to pray for him, we're to pray for each other. You know, we're to we're to pray to enlist the angels of heaven, the the armies of heaven to come down and literally fight with us, right? And that really segues into what this uh, series is going to be about. Because two years ago, um, I think this was the second series that I preached um, as a new church. And it was January two years ago. But the Lord gave me a little bit different take on it this time. Two years ago, we were beginning the church. We were beginning this this process of readying our church, of, of this army rising up, right? And we've talked about that so much. Um, and so we talked about how... Uh, Ephesians 6 tells us from the perspective of defense, from the perspective of, of being ready to handle anything that comes at you. And, and that's what Ephesians talks about. Ephesians 6, all, all throughout Ephesians, what, what Paul is teaching to the churches around Ephesus is, is how to, first of all, who God is and what salvation is, that, that it, is, it is 100% grace. But then yet we are, we are to live a fulfilled life in Jesus Christ. We're, we're to live a life of victory and not defeat, right? That's what it teaches all throughout Ephesians. And then it comes to the last part of Ephesians, and he teaches you how to take up the armor. That there is armor that we can put on ourselves, that we can literally take up to protect ourselves from the enemy. The onslaught of the enemy. Anybody realize Satan fights against us? (laughs) Anybody not know that? You know, I'll take you aside, we'll talk after service. He fights against us. We did a whole series on the the courts of heaven and how the, the accuser is there day and night. Revelation 12, I believe it's verse 10. He's there every day, every night, accusing us, taking us before the courts, why? To gain authority. As he gains authority, then he could come after us, right? So so he comes after us. So what God, or what Paul teaches in this, and the Lord speaks through Paul to, to do this, is tell us we can take up his armor, this armor of defense, Against the enemy. And that's what we talked two years ago. And that, that's huge. It's so important. And, and we're going to go through much of that even from the perspective of defense. But it's a little bit different when you have come to a place of being readied for warfare, right? If, if you look at a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier had defensive armor on them, but when they became trained in it, that armor was offensive. A shield was made to not only block, but literally be a tool. Literally be a weapon. So what we're going to look at in this is taking up our armor every day. And this isn't something that you just decide, well, one time, okay, I'm going to just take up my armor, and then I won't have to worry about it. I'll just leave it on. It doesn't work that way. It's this constant perpetual thing of taking up armor. It's it's like a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't just open up that relationship one time and then everything's good the rest of your life. A relationship is something we work on. A relationship is something that we do every day, every hour of every day, right? We work on it. Well, same with taking up our armor. We take up our armor every day. We constantly take up our armor. Why? Because we have an enemy that constantly comes against us. But we're going to look at this through the perspective of offense instead of defense. Because there's a shift that happens. And, and that shift in a, in a Christian's life, and I, I know this shift happened in our church. I can't remember exactly when, but it was roughly six months ago. It was in the fall. I distinctly recognized a shift in our church. And that shift went from defense, where where we were being attacked all the time, and we were literally just defending against the onslaught of the enemy, to offense, to going after his strongholds to recognizing in somebody difficulties that they have and going after those strongholds. See, there's a shift that we made as a church, but there are shifts that we make individually. As you learn who he is, as you prepare your heart more and more for him to use you, you shift from a defensive position to an offensive position. Now, Give you, let me give you an example of that, because basically war is war, right? <laughs> yes and no. I can tell you for a fact that it's different to be in war on offense than it is defense. It's this idea of momentum. Okay, now football is not war, but I know football, so I'm, I'm going to use that analogy, right? Now, you heard the old adage that defense wins Super Bowls. I mean, Denver Broncos, i just got to point out, okay, they had the best defense. I know it's last year, but that's okay. I could say it anyways. They had the best defense. They won the Super Bowl. But you know what? Their defense did not win the Super Bowl. It can't. Because even when their defense takes the ball away, by definition, it becomes offense. It advances. That's what offense does. So when you have a defensive position that becomes an offensive position, you literally begin to advance against the enemy. Let me give you another example for those who are not football fans. Okay, World War II. We were drawn into World War II as a country at Pearl Harbor, Right? Okay? We were attacked by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor, uh, completely surprised. Okay? We became on the defensive position. They went after us. And not just there, but in the Pacific, they went after us after Pearl Harbor. They stayed on the offensive to go after us. There was a shift, however. There was a shift in the, the, that position, our defensive position in World War II, especially in the water war, in, in the war in the Pacific. And that was the Battle of Midway. How do I remember that? I remember that because that was the, the first movie my dad and I went to that had Dolby Sound, which isn't even a thing anymore, right? <laughs> For all of, all of you who are older, you know that that was a big deal back then. This thing came out in Dolby Sound, and it was so cool. But I remember learning in class that that was the shift. The Battle of Midway was the shift where America no longer was defensive in their positions, but they became offensive in their movement. They began to take ground. That's why we've, we, we talk about in this, this uh, series is called Take Ground. See, because for the bride to be readied, as we've talked about in Revelation 3.9, for the bride to be lifted up, for the bride to be put in a place where the world sees the favor of God on the bride, one thing has to happen. The bride must take ground from the enemy. Why? Because he's the prince of the power of the air. He controls so many things on this earth. You look at the seven mountains of influence, right? And we've talked about these. You look at look at education, look at the church, look at government, look at media. All these things you look at and see Satan has so much control in each one. So when I'm talking about taking ground, I'm talking about taking influence taking the ground that Satan has staked his flag in and says, I control this. We can't do that until we go on the offensive. So that's why God is readying the bride to do just that. And it requires taking on these elements of the armor, of readying ourselves, making us battle ready, not to just defend a position, but to go out and take new ground. So that is why he has brought this series on right now. I want to begin, however, in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to verse 17. Ephesians 1, 17. And I just want to share this thought here real quick before we get into chapter 6. Ephesians 1, verse 17 says this that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him. First of all, notice spirit there, the S is capitalized. It should be on there, it's not. But it is in the Bible. (laughs) It's talking about the Holy Spirit. It is talking about how the Father will give the Holy Spirit for what? For wisdom and revelation of knowledge of Him. He gives the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do this stuff. To teach us how to be defensive. To teach us how to be offensive. You know, it's interesting to me because... When you go into the military, the first thing after them getting your body into shape and getting you to be disciplined, (laughs) after that, what do they teach you? They teach you defense. They teach you defense before they teach you offense. Because so much of offense depends on a strong defensive position, right? So that's the first thing they teach. So the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him. And then verse 18, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance of the saints. See, it's not supposed to be a surprise what God has for our lives. Maybe the particulars. But see, he wants us to be aware of the glorious inheritance that we have in him. He wants to make us understand who we are in Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand how much he loves us. And chooses to work with us and through us. See, but that's our choice. We don't have to let him. We don't have to let him in. We don't have to let him work with us. We don't have to let him love us. I mean, he loves us anyways, but it's still our choice. So what Paul's saying here is we is the Father sent the Holy Spirit to teach you these things. He wants you to know your inheritance. He wants you to know who you are in Christ. Because when you understand who you are in Christ, and you understand the literal power that He has pumping in love through your veins, then you will step forward with this armor. You'll put this armor on, and you'll step forward in an offensive position as He leads, as He directs. Because it's time, church. It's time for that. You know, I, I, I say this a lot on the prayer call. I don't understand. And this is this is part of, of what really God used to lead me to, to start a church, Alexa and I. I don't understand what has happened in the pulpits of America. I don't understand why political correctness has come to the point where the church is silenced. See, we have a real enemy that has silenced us. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be to where we allow God to speak through us whatever he wants, giving him glory, showing who he is, and, and yet, the church has been, and, and I'm not saying all churches, the overall church, the overall bride of Christ, those who know Him as Savior, have been silent in this. That's why He's crying out to us, take up your armor, because I'm going to put you in offensive positions to take new ground, to take ground that Satan has had for years. And to begin that, you've got to understand that you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in him. You're not just loved by him, but you have purpose. You have talents. You have giftings that he's given you that fit into the body perfectly. Right? It's important to understand that. All right, so go ahead and turn to uh, chapter 6. And let, let's just begin. We're not going to get into the actual gifts today. We have some introduction that we need to understand. So, Ephesians 6, we'll begin at verse 10. And again, as we begin to read this, I, I want you to really put it in a filter of going on offense, okay? Recognizing strategies of the enemy and going on offense where the Lord leads. Verse 10 Finally Be strong in the Lord Now this is after Paul has given Five chapters of how to live as a Christian Five chapters of What it means to be a Christian Okay All the tools necessary to grow in Christ Then he says this In the ending of the book He said finally What? Be strong in the Lord And in the strength of his might not your own might of his might that's the charge be strong in the Lord and oh by the way let him be strong in you now Paul could have left it there and it would have been confusing because see when you go into battle you have to be taught how to use the tools So he gives this charge of be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And then he says how to do it. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That means the entire armor of God. You can't just run out into battle with a single piece. If you run out into battle with just a sword, you can't take any blows as you're going through the battle. If you run out with just a breastplate on, you better be really good with your hands. (laughs) Because you're not going to be able to fight against the enemy who has those weapons against us. So he says, put on the whole armor of God, the entire outfit that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand against his strategies. See, Satan has a strategy for your life. Just like we talk about God having a strategy or a plan for your life, don't be fooled because Satan has a plan for your life. He has a plan to take you away from the effectiveness that God has planned for you. And so he has schemes. He has strategies to do that. I know anybody who has been saved for any length of time can look back in their life and say, oh yeah, I've recognized those schemes, those plans. And by the way, he's smart. He knows our buttons. He knows how to get to us. He knows how to defeat us. He knows how to get under our skin, right? Those are what he's talking about by schemes the literal strategies that the enemy uses. So he says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against those schemes. Then verse 12, he explains why. Okay, these, these are fairly new Christians, okay, who he's speaking to, these churches around Ephesus. But he he explains to them, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, you don't go out and you don't just fight against some other person. You don't just fight against the Romans. You don't just fight against other people that you could see coming, right? He's trying to explain to them the strategies are something you cannot see because they're not flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. By the way, this is broken down, and we're not going to get into this too much, but I want you to understand that he is making a correlation here between human leadership and satanic influence. Okay? In other words, we fight things in this world that can be manifest through people. When it when it talks about against rulers, against authorities, that that word ruler there is the same word they use for an earthly ruler. So you're fighting through an earthly ruler that the enemy has a satanic scheme through or a strategy through. We recognize that all the time. I mean, we recognize that in the battle going over all over the government right now. Any any Christian that is in tuned with what God is doing there can look at that and see there is something going on behind the scenes. There is a strategy that the enemy has behind the scenes. But just like God uses people, the enemy has to use people. And in in effect, we are the prize to Satan. We are the prize to Jesus. So he uses people to do this. So when it says that we fight against these rulers against these authorities. It is talking about levels of authority within the human realm as well, but understanding what's behind it. Because there is a spiritual force behind it. Then there's a shift. Against cosmic powers. That word there in the Greek, (laughs) I'm going to try and say that, yeah, I won't try and say that. It's a Greek word though. <laughs> Kosmokrator. K O S M O K R A T O R. There it is. But what that is talking about, it it is literally a ruling place of Satan. That's what that word means. This is not something that is is purely human, right? You have a shift that moved from these rulers on the earth that are being affected by Satan to now you have authorities, this, this cosmic power, what it says here, that is direct from Satan. So you have these powers that go after you. What he's saying there is he doesn't have to go after you through a person. Every every warfare point of warfare in your life is not from another person. Well, if I could just get away from people, I'd be okay. Now, sometimes that actually seems pretty good, right? It doesn't make the warfare stop. That's the point he's trying to make here. Is that it's not just warfare through people. If you can avoid people, you cannot avoid the warfare. Why? Because it's cosmic. In the ESV, that's the word it uses. It is spiritual. It is something outside of our three dimensions plus time. It's something we can't see, right? So he says, over the cosmic powers, over this present darkness. Okay, this is cool. Anybody remember the, I think it was the the last series we did? Um, No, two series? I don't remember when it was. But but when we when we were talking about um, yeah no it was the last series the thousand year reign of Christ and all that there was several weeks ago there was a point where I was I was talking about Matthew twenty five right and how Matthew twenty five parable of the talents where where that that uh, the the one um, servant that was slothful and did not invest like they were supposed to they were cast, cast to the outer darkness do you remember that. Okay, as, as I was looking at this yesterday, uh, the Lord just opened my eyes in this, and that, that is the same Greek word. That's the same Greek word and the same meaning that you have right here, where it says what? It says the cosmic powers, the spiritual powers over what? Over this present darkness. If you look up the Greek word there, it is referring to this world, this earth, this physical earth. So it's saying what it's saying is you fight against spiritual warfare that happens in this physical earth. Does that make sense? I mean, anybody who's lived as a Christian in any length of time can recognize that there are spiritual, there's this spiritual darkness that fights against us in this world, right? So that's what it's saying. It's saying it's not just the physical authorities that may not be for Christ, but then there is a spiritual authority that yet still fights in this world. This is where he fights. He fights in the hearts of men and women. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now he took it to a different realm. See, it's easy to read this and not break it down. It's easy to read this and say, "Yeah, there's just a lot of warfare pretty much everywhere. But in in breaking it down, we understand and we begin to know where to expect that warfare. That's important. We can expect that warfare in people who do not follow Christ. That's that's expected. That, That is probably the most obvious one. But we can expect that warfare because we are God's children in a world that is literally controlled the prince and, by the prince and power of the air, which is Satan. But then he says a last part here. And he said, you have warfare from these spiritual forces. Where in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realm. What realm is that? That's the third heaven. That's where the throne of God is. Wait a second. How? I'm not even up there. How, how, am I fought? how am I fighting something up there? Well, if you want to know the answer to that, then I would suggest you go to the podcast and listen to the courts of heaven. Because, see, Revelation 12:10, we have an accuser day and night that goes before the throne of God and accuses us day and night to gain authority to then come after us, right? That's what he's doing up there. So, so we're not only fighting a war down here. We are fighting a war in the third heaven. We're fighting a war literally in court before the throne of God, the Father being the judge. And what Paul's trying to say here is there is warfare going on. If you don't recognize the areas that that warfare is going on, you're not going to be able to first to to mount a good defense. But then secondly, when you get past that momentum of being fought against and shift it to offense, you're not going to have a good offense if you do not include all three of those areas. See, you can't let Satan hide in any one of those three areas. When we fight him, obviously the most obvious one is we fight against... Something that we know to be human, right? Let me give you an example. Abortion. Okay, abortion is something that's been allowed for 30 years now. 60 million babies have been slaughtered through this bill, through this allowing. So, as, as a Christian, I look at that and I say, okay, I am fighting those who want abortion. Those who who pushed Roe v. Wade. I am fighting Physical warfare, I mean, not beating them up, I don't mean that. But there is a a physical warfare that we're able to see go on for abortion and against abortion. We can recognize that. But if that's all you recognize, you're never going to get anywhere in that warfare. You have to recognize the second part which is that there are spiritual forces behind that decision. There's spiritual forces from Satan that wanted that to happen, that knew that's a way to get rid of 60 million possible influences for Jesus Christ. See, Satan, all he wants to do is destroy. That's one of his names. He is the destroyer. And that was an effective way for him to destroy a life before it had a chance to live. So we have to recognize the power behind that decision. We have to recognize the power behind, and and by the way, this is something really important because it's really easy to not love your enemies. Okay, but yet the Bible says love your enemies. It's really easy to say those who, who want abortion and want all this stuff that's against the word of God that, well, okay, I'm just not going to like them. Well, you have a problem if you're going to feel that way because the Bible says you're not, it's not that you're supposed to like them. You're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them as Jesus loves, right? Okay, so there's a problem. If all you recognize is that first level of warfare, you just missed the boat. But when you recognize that there is a spiritual warfare behind them that has control of them, that is literally guiding them, then your hate, if you will, can shift to where it's supposed to be, which is Satan and the influences on those people. And you begin to recognize that those people are in need of a Savior. Those people are in need of recognizing the love of Jesus Christ. And when you recognize the power behind them, you can separate them out as human beings and fall in love with them. And recognize Jesus loves them. And he wants them to recognize him and to know his love. So that's the second one. We're to recognize there's a power behind that warfare. But then there's a third one that is really important to recognize as well. Once you recognize the human part, once you recognize the force behind it, you have to recognize where the authority comes from. You have to recognize that you have an enemy in court 24 7 accusing you, accusing your friends, accusing your, your church family to try and gain authority. Now, what happens if you have, you know, uh, let's say you're in business and a person's trying to, to do something in court against you that isn't right? But they're going there and they're going after to gain authority to do something in your business. I'll give you a good example. A patent. Okay, a company invents this really cool thing, right? And they get a patent on it. And nobody else is allowed to do it. Nobody else is allowed to make that product. Okay, so you have this exclusivity on this product. But then a company comes in and they make it. They make it. They start selling it. And it's, it's going crazy. They're just making it and making all kinds of money on it. You have to go to court to be able to get a judgment against them to force them to literally stop taking your business. Okay, that's in the human realm. Businesses do that all the time. They have a budget line directly for that so they, they can literally defend and fight off those that would steal their business. See, in the spiritual realm, it's no different. You have somebody in court every day, every night, trying to steal what is yours the inheritance you've been given in Jesus Christ. By the way, if you don't know what that is, that's an awesome study. We weren't just given eternal life, all right? We we were made sons and daughters of the king it says we're adopted into his family that's not just bringing on a servant that you know you take care of god just takes care of us it's adoption we become part of the family we have an inheritance so so we become plugged in well satan hates that and, and he may not be able to do anything about our justification, our actual salvation. We can never lose that, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, praise God. But what he can do is he can fight against our effectiveness to influence others. Right? So what he does, he goes to court. He goes to court and he lies. He goes to court and takes a piece of something and embellishes it. And, you, you, you know, your reaction is, what? Okay, that's really unfair. How can he do that? That's not fair. Exactly. It's not fair. It's not fair, but he does it every day and every night. And the Bible teaches us, Paul teaches us, that if we do not know how to go before the courts and fight him in that realm, then we will suffer loss. Now, what does that mean? Do you have to learn how to become a lawyer and all that? No. And, and again, I would suggest go back and listen to the podcast on the courts of heaven. But that's really what prayer is. When we get on our knees, we go before the Lord and we share with him our heart. We share with him what's going on in our lives. We ask forgiveness of the things that we have done against him. That is going to the court. Don't 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 let that verbiage confuse you. That is going to the court. When you go and you ask forgiveness, you are asking the court, the father, the judge to recognize you as cleansed, right? And Joshua, not not the one who who uh, went into the Promised Land, but the one who was the high priest in Israel. He had to be recognized when he became high priest. He had to be recognized. The father said, I need to clean your clothes. I need to 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 cleanse you so you could be recognized in my court. And that, that's all in the courts of heaven in, in that, that podcast. We have to be recognized by being cleansed. So when you ask forgiveness, that's really what you're doing. You're before the courts of heaven, and you're asking forgiveness. You're asking to be recognized in that court. That's why I always suggest when, when you're praying, first of all, that should be one of the most important parts of your prayer. That's when Jesus taught people to pray. That was, that was one of the key part, key elements. Is Father, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Forgive me as I forgive others. And that's because when you go and you gain access to the court, you have a voice in the court. Then you begin to lay out what you're experiencing in life. You know, I I don't know why this is happening at work, Lord. You know, I don't understand it. I don't understand why this person is, is trying to railroad me. It's not fair. Okay, what you're literally doing there is you're before the court. You're standing before the Father as a judge. You're you're giving evidence to what is going on down here so that he can render a judgment on it. You have an accuser on the other side saying, well, they do this and they gossip and they do that and they blah, 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 blah. That's why you cleanse. That's why you ask forgiveness first, even th- for things you're, you're not aware of. We sin all the time, even when we don't know. Paul said, I am the chief sinner, which if you read any of the Pauline epistles is amazing, You know, to think that such an awesome, incredible man of God calls himself, himself the chief sinner. But it's because we live in this sinful flesh. Even if we don't know specific sins that we have done, we sin simply by who we are. So it's important to understand that. It's important to ask forgiveness for that. And it's not about that we could have changed that. It's not about that, well, we get we get a pass because we, we didn't, you know, birth ourselves this way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that sin was passed down. That sin was passed down through Adam. So, so when you go, go before the Lord and you ask forgiveness, you ask forgiveness to cleanse yourself so you can be free to speak before the Lord. That's going before the court. That's that third part. We have to fight in that part. We have to fight in the courtroom. That means for us, in a literal sense, we're fighting on our knees. See, that's what we're doing on the prayer call every night at 8.30. We go to our knees and we are fighting in the court of heaven, asking God to recognize the evidence that we're presenting to him. Now, is that because he doesn't know? (laughs) No. God knows everything. But see, just like a judge... A judge, a true judge, a righteous judge, is not allowed to consider anything but what's been presented to him. So see, if you never pray, if you never go to your knees before the Lord, you're literally not presenting any evidence in that realm, in that courtroom, so you give the enemy full reign. He has full reign to accuse however he wants. To gain authority to come after you however he wants. Because there's no choice. There's no choice that the Father can make. So, so and this is really, really important to understand. Because when we were saved, we were bought with a price. Okay? We, we were written, and that's why our names were written in the book of life. We weren't written in a book that says they get a good life, no, no warfare, no problems. We'll put him, we'll, we'll go ahead and write Greg's name in the life where there are no problems. If there was a book like that, I didn't know about it, and none of us are in it because we all have problems, right? We, when we were sealed by the Holy Spirit, we were not guaranteed no problems. We were not guaranteed no warfare in our lives. What we were given was a way to fight it. What we were given was a way to access through our prayer the very throne of God to show him our love, to present our evidence. And by the way, it's really easy. It's really easy. When you go into your prayers, plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that covers everything. It covers all our sin. It's what justified us in the first place. What bought us with a price was his blood. So when you go and you ask forgiveness and you say, Father, I plead the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who bought me. I am your son's, which means I am yours. And, and what this, this person, or if, if you recognize spiritually behind him, what the enemy is trying to do here, he has no right to do. Help me. See, when you do that, now the father has reason to place verdict against the enemy and not grant that authority that the enemy can come after you. That's defensive position. Well, when you go on offense, it's the same thing, but you're going after his positions. You know, you're laying before the court, and we do this every night on the call. We lay before the court. We we say, Father, open up the book that you have written for this country. What you intended for this country, what the forefathers laid down and declared for this country was to follow you, Almighty God. So we ask in your court that you open that book. Open the book that you have written for this country, the plans that you have for this country. And we just offer ourselves as witnesses, That we want your book, we want what you have written in the book for America to be done on Earth. That's what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father, which by the way, I don't know, did anybody see on uh, uh, yesterday six thirty I think it was um, the the uh, rally that Donald Trump had on TV? Okay, yeah, in Florida, any anybody see that? A few. Wow. Okay, anybody see the news about it? Okay, like one more, two more? Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about the rally part. Go YouTube the beginning. YouTube the beginning when Milani comes and she introduces Donald Trump. But the first words out of her mouth after saying thank you or whatever from the claps, she prays the Lord's Prayer. She prays the Lord's Prayer. Okay, that's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And here you have the highest couple in the land shouting it out. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as you've written it in heaven. As you've done it in heaven. And by the way, that's what it's talking about. We talked about that in another series where, where he wrote books about each one of your lives. It says that in the Psalms. He's written books about nations. See, in heaven, in the courts, there are books about everything that God's will intends. So he said to pray is really simple. Stand and ask in agreement. Just say, just say your will be done on earth as you've already done it in heaven, as you've already written it in heaven. We just want your will. You see, we don't have to figure out all the particulars. He'll do that. We just have to say your will. So when we're fighting in that realm on the offense, like I was giving the example of, we go before the courts and we say for our country, Lord, we want your will for our country, period. Not well Lord, we don't like this person, so get them out of the way and because and, we know that's your will. <laughs> that's dangerous. Because then your own mind kind of gets in the way. And that's not what he says to do. He said, Ask for my will. Why does that matter? Why can't God do his will anyways? What's he need us, little humans, to say, Lord, do your will? It's because the way he set up this whole thing, because of love, he gave us control of that. That's why Satan fights for it all the time. That's why he he fights for the authority in our lives and, and the influence that we have over other lives. God is going to work through people. So he says, I need you to come before me in my court in this place where decision is made and laws are made, I need you to come here and say, do my will. We give you our yes to do your will in our lives. We give you your, our yes to do your will in this church. We give you our yes to do your will in this country. And it's extraordinary what happens. You're witnessing really the culmination of almost two years of prayer specifically for this country. And it's so important to go before the courts and fight offensively, not just defensively. See, you see somebody in your life, you know somebody in your family that doesn't know Christ, Or maybe really struggling with something. You may not even have really that much influence on them. Does that mean you can't do anything? No, because the most important thing you can do is at your, you have access to all the time. And that's the courts. That's that third area there. You fight the enemy. You go on offense in the courts you have someone in your family you're praying for because they don't know Christ, you could beat them over the head till you're blue in the face about knowing Christ, and that's not going to do anything if you don't deal with it in the courts. If you are not praying for them, if you're not going before the Lord and saying, Lord, they need to know you. I desperately, they need to know you. They need to accept you. They need to understand your love. If you're not going in prayer in that It's going to be ineffective. But if you are going in prayer, that's what I'm talking about by going on offense. And we do that individually, but imagine if a group of people do that collectively. Change the world. It is changing the world. Because, see, there is a remnant in the bride right now that understands this. There is a remnant all over the world in the bride right now of those who understand where the warfare is God reveals the strategy of where it is and how to take ground See that's what we've been called to do as ignition He's called us to seven places in the world not to just go have a good time and have some conversations about the Lord He's he's called us to take ground we're going to be going to Nigeria here shortly, and, and this time when we go, the Lord's told me to look for land there that we're going to get and, and begin the process of taking ground. Ultimately, our calling in Nigeria is not where we are right now because we're, we're in a predominantly Christian area. Our, our part there is to build up the churches, but our taking ground part is to go into the north is to go into the areas that it's very dark when it comes to Jesus Christ. These Muslim-controlled areas, Boko Haram is up there, and you you hear all that stuff. And when you hear about Nigeria, you don't hear about the southern part. You hear about the northern part, because that's the one that makes world news. Okay, but our calling is to take ground. Your calling... Is to prepare to take ground. If you're a young person and you're you're in a class, don't assume that you just have to be, let's say it's a philosophy class and and they just spew out everything about hatred for the Lord. You don't have to just be on the defense there. You're called to be on offense and to take ground. But you have to recognize where that is. The first fight in taking ground happens in the third heaven. It happens before the throne of God. That's what he's saying here. You've got got to recognize those three areas. And by the way, it goes least to most. You cannot fight humankind without recognizing the influence behind them. You cannot fight the, the fallen spirit okay, without recognizing he's gaining his authority from the throne, from the court. So we work our way backwards. You go to the court first. When you're on offense, you go to the court you, first. You, you erase any authority the enemy has to do what you're going against them to do. And as you do that, it makes the rest of the warfare that much simpler. See, Satan, without authority, is not that strong. He can only do so much. Now, I'm not saying he he only does everything with authority, because he is also the destroyer. And he will go outside of his authority to attempt to gain authority, if that makes sense. It's kind of like sending a spy into a camp to, to gain access to something. That, that spy is vulnerable. That spy, if that spy is caught, it's not hard to take care of them. Just kill him, right? Okay, but if they gain access to information and get it back to their to their side then it becomes a more powerful element to go against, right? Because now they have strategy. Now they may have information they could go against. It's no different in the court of heaven. See, Satan will send a destroyer without authority to come after you to try and gain authority. And, and in the very practical ways, you know, a destroyer may, may come and and present, you know, um, an opportunity to, to you know, just, just a little thing, You're just stealing a little bit of money. You know, I have this opportunity at work. Nobody would ever know to take this 50 bucks here or this 10 bucks here. It's such a small thing. Nobody would ever know. And I, I work so hard. I mean, they should be giving me way more than this. So you do it. See, that temptation comes from the destroyer that his whole job, is to gain authority. Because once you take that bait, and once you do that, now you have given authority to the enemy to send something much greater. It's something that comes with authority to then infiltrate your lives. That's how something goes from a single sin to a perpetual problem, like pornography. Pornography never started out as... As a one time, you know, it, it's just this little thing, no big deal, whatever. I, you know, I watch Baywatch. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's all it was, right? Okay, but from that, it caused thoughts that gave authority to the enemy. So now the enemy can concentrate his efforts to pinpoint that sin, to increase. The level of, of temptation to increase the level of, of what's coming at you. That's why Paul says, if, 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 you're, if you're tempted, what do you do? You don't just say, no, 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 no. What's the Bible say? It says, flee, run, turn, and run, run from it. Don't just, no, I, I'm stronger than that, just, just get behind me. No, run from it. Why? Because it's the destroyer trying to get access. You don't want him to get access. Because when he gets access, that's what makes it perpetual. That's what then he comes in with more forces, with stronger forces, with more authority from the court. Because the second you do that, he's in court saying, here's what he did, here's my evidence. I have authority to go after him. And the father has no choice but to say yes. Because that's the evidence presented to him. It's not a matter of love. It's a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of law. It's a matter of God's law. So when we begin to recognize that that battle is in the court, that battle is in the spirit... It's going to help us a lot more. Let's finish up here. Therefore, verse 13. Remember those three places are where we're fighting. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word withstand means to resist, to stand against, to push back. In the evil day, and, and the evil day there means a time period, the time in which we live. And having done all, in other words, everything you can do to stand, then stand firm. So when we're doing everything we can, which we're going to get into, as he talks about putting on the whole armor of God, when we've done everything we can do, allowing the Lord to fill us, to be ready for this warfare, then he says, go to war. When you're ready, having done done everything that you can do to be prepared for warfare, go to war. Now that going to war is defense and offense. Because we fight everything Satan sends at us. Right? But then there comes a point where you start to go after the things that Satan has control of. Perhaps people in our family, people at work, people in influence in those seven mountains of influence. See, as the bride, we need to be going to war for God to literally put influence in those seven mountains that believe in him and trust him. You want to talk about a changed world? Start getting some of the greatest powers of influence in the media. It's no surprise. I'll tell you what. It's no surprise that right now the battle is with the media. And I love it. Praise God. Why? Because they're the voice. They're the voice. They don't even understand why they're in the middle of the battle. But they are. See, that's a mountain. That's a mountain of influence. Hollywood is a mountain of influence, right? This entertainment industry, this mountain of influence. And and we just sit back and go, yeah, there's not a whole lot I can really do about that. You know, I mean, kind of like their movies. And and by the way, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying there is something you could do about it, though. You could go before the courts and you could say, Lord, I want your will. I want your will in the entertainment industry. I want your will. You have a book that you've written of influence in this country. I want your will to be done on earth as you've written it in heaven. I ask you to place in that industry people of influence that love you, that trust you. And and I know he's doing that because I know people have been praying this for a long time now. I know he's doing that. You start to see it. Because Hollywood's all about money. Now you're starting to see they do these some of these movies that they never would have done before about Jesus Christ. Right? Kind of all started with the passion. You guys remember that when that came out? They said Mel Gibson's whacked, putting three hundred million dollars of his own money into a film that's going to go nowhere. And it was the highest profiting film in history. History. And still holds that record. Not the highest grossing, highest profiting film in history. Well, I'll tell you what, the people that head up Hollywood notice that. So, so it may not be, be this, you know, light in the sky thing that changed their hearts, but God knows how to do it. When the, when the bride prays, put influence in that mountain, in that entertainment mountain that will literally shift the world, God's going to do it. When we ask, he's going to do it. So I want to encourage you as we get into uh, uh, these pieces of armor, we're going to go into it with the the thought process of taking ground and and of offense. But be, be... uh, always understand that that is in three realms. First, it's in the courts of heaven, in the third heaven, before before God himself. Second, in what influences what we see. You know, the, the spirit behind what we see. And then third, the people. Okay? and And it's always important to recognize that the people are redemptive. Not the spirits behind them. Every person has a chance for redemption. That's why we need to love them. Let's bow our heads in prayer.